Good morning. It is Wednesday, April 8th, and this is Community Pulse, KOPN's local report on the coronavirus outbreak here in mid-Missouri. You can catch Community Pulse every weekday morning at 9 a.m. here on KOPN. Today, we're going to be talking about how tobacco use and vaping affect response to COVID-19, both in individuals and collectively in policy. Uh, joining me by phone this morning is Dr. Elizabeth Alleman, local family physician and host of Your Health Matters, which airs every weekday, excuse me, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. on KOPN. And our guest today is Chris Bostick, Deputy Director for Policy of anti-tobacco nonprofit Action on Smoking and Health, also known by its acronym ASH. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Elizabeth and Chris. Good morning, Tim and Chris. So lovely to meet you by phone. You too, and thanks for having me. Yeah. So I'm going to start with the numbers. Uh, The numbers are continuing to escalate 1.4 million cases around the world with 82,000 deaths and 305,000 recovered. Um, The United States has 400,000 cases, so we're still running, you know, one in three cases, one in four cases in the the world or in the United States now. Um, We do have a lot of population, but um, not that much. And uh, 12,000 deaths and 20,000 people recovered. Missouri is uh, their numbers are our numbers are rising rapidly. Three thousand cases um, with eighty five deaths in Boone County. We seem to be holding steady with seventy six cases and one death. Um, I'm going to start to 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 follow a new number if I can, and that is a number of tests we've done. All these are antigen tests, testing for the actual virus, not the antibodies. And in the United States, apparently we've done two million tests so far, and uh, thirty three thousand in Missouri. So with that being the background, uh, Chris, let's get started about um, how tobacco use, smoking, and vaping affect our response to COVID-19. Right, and uh, thank you for bringing this, uh, this topic up. This is something we've been, we've been trying to get out into the media because it has been extremely uh, undercovered, in, in our opinion. Um, so first, let's talk about the differences in the two kinds of risks. There's, there's the risk of contracting the virus, and then there's the risks of what happens if you contract the virus. And mostly, we're here to talk about the latter. And uh, so far, uh, some preliminary analysis shows that smokers are 14 times more likely to end up in the hospital if they contract COVID-19 than somebody who, who doesn't smoke. And so that puts them in an extreme risk group, similar to people that have diabetes or cardiovascular disease. And uh, we were really hoping to get the message out so that smokers and their families can take extra precautions. And I know you know my my parents are in their 80s and they're they're sequestered because uh, they shouldn't get the virus because they're elderly they're right. much more likely to have serious complications from it. So I've been urging them not to not to take any risks. Whereas someone like myself, uh, I, I'm probably going to get the virus at some point, but hopefully it won't be serious for me because I don't I'm not elderly and I don't have cardiovascular disease in my background. But smokers should take extra precautions to uh, to keep from being exposed to it. And I, I should be clear, we don't have a precise data yet. It's simply been too soon. And the data being collected around the world is, is sort of haphazard. Even in places where in, in triage they collect data on smoking status, uh, because of the emergency nature of this and the fact that doctors and nurses are completely overwhelmed, they're, they're often rushing through that triage because they got to get straight to treatment to save people's lives. And that makes perfect sense. 
Um, and so the, right. the, the data isn't perfect, and it's been far too soon to have any sort of published, peer-reviewed uh, studies done out there. Uh, but there's a lot of good data out there, and we're uh, fairly confident in, in what we're saying that there's a greater risk for, for smokers. One preliminary study that was cited by the New York State Academy of Family Physicians in, uh, in calling on Governor Cuomo to end tobacco sales during the pandemic said that they're, like I said, 14 times more likely to end up in the hospital. So that's what, a 1,300 percent greater risk of serious complications from COVID-19. And so this is, this is very compelling and uh, very disturbing. And I'm particularly worried uh, as this uh, as the pandemic moves across the country, and of course it's the hotspots now are, are New York and Louisiana and a few others, um, but some of the states that have the highest smoking prevalence in the country haven't been hit yet. Uh, so the smoking oh, prevalence right. rate in New York State is about 14%. I believe in Missouri it's about 20 and so that you can expect an increase in, in serious cases as it hits places that have higher smoking prevalence. Just as an aside, in China, they're trying to figure out why so many more men died from coronavirus than women, because there's no evidence that, uh, that men are more likely to contract it. And one of the reasons they're pointing to is that in China, only 3% of women smoke, but 52% of men do. And they think that's one of the big culprits for the, the gender difference in, uh, in bad outcomes for coronavirus. Hey, can I ask a follow-up question about that? I uh, follow Dr. John, uh, oh, now I'm blanking on his last name. Anyway, a lovely epidemiologic uh, person who is doing YouTube videos in uh, the U.K. And he say, says that their preliminary data from people who this is looking at people who are actually in the intensive care unit, which we all know is a skewed database, but they're showing that um, that of the people who sh who end up in the emergent in the uh, intensive care unit that over sixty percent of them are men. So we're looking at about seventy thirty mix in the u k. And do you know what the off the top of your head, I know this is I didn't prepare you for this question, whether we have the similar discrepancy in smoking rates in the u k. I don't know the exact discrepancy. I know it's not the same, the, the drastic difference that they have in China. That there's, gotcha. there's a, a closer proximity between men and women. Um, but certainly, I do believe more men smoke in the United Kingdom than women. All right. So, um, so what we know is that uh, people who use tobacco, and so is vaping safer? I think a lot of my patients are, are, and a lot of the public feel like, well, if I could just get off of uh, combustible cigarettes and use a vaping device, that that would be an improvement for my lungs. And what do we know about that, Chris? Well, we know less, especially in terms of COVID-19. Um, and the, the question of whether vaping is safer than smoking has been sort of, uh, before, pan before the pandemic especially, the, the big public health question in the United States. But I think it's a bit of a red herring. Everything is safer than smoking. So my answer, is vaping safer, is probably because how could it not be? I mean, playing a, a round of Russian roulette with, with three chambered bullets is safer than, than a lifetime of smoke. So it, we, can, we can be worried about vaping without worrying about whether or not it, it is just as dangerous as, as smoking. Right. So what we do know about vaping is that it does have deleterious effects on the lungs. And so when, in, when faced with a pandemic that primarily attacks the lungs, it stands to reason that it's going to be an additional risk factor. But we have even less gotcha. data about that than we do about traditional smoking. And so, um, I've been talking to my patients about smoking cessation, and what I'm getting is pushback saying, the damage is already done. It's too, I should have quit last year. It's too late for me to quit now. And I'm wondering, I, I know how I've been answering that, but I'm wondering um, what we know about that. So uh, there's, it kind of cuts both ways. 
Uh, a lot of the damage that's done for, from years of smoking is, is permanent, but there are immediate benefits to quitting smoking, and some of them come within minutes. Uh, within 20 minutes, your heart rate drops and your blood pressure starts to drop. So that's, that's fantastic. Um, after 12 hours, some of the toxins from, uh, from cigarette smoke, including carbon monoxide, start to leave your system. Um, the risk of heart attack goes down after only a day of, of quitting smoking. So I, I want to urge smokers to quit. And part of that is to avoid complications from COVID-19. But also, we're all, a lot of us are stuck in our homes, and many people are trying to find something positive to do for themselves while they're there. Some people are learning language. Some people are t- starting new exercise routines. If you're a smoker, the best thing you can do for yourself and your family is take this opportunity to quit, particularly when you should be going to the store to buy tobacco. That's, that's, giving, that's exposing you to the coronavirus for, for reasons mm-hmm. that you just don't need. And, of course, um, there are, there's help out there. There are quit lines, and I, I just talked to the, the woman that runs the, the National the, the North American Consortium of Quit Lines. They are ready and primed. They're staffed. Uh, they're ready to help people. Um, there's also right. nicotine replacement there, and uh, if you're under, especially if you're on Medicaid, you get their two weeks are available to you, and those can be delivered. You don't even have to go to the pharmacy to get them. Most pharmacies now are delivering drugs, including NRTs, and there's both over-the-counter and prescription. Um, so there, there are, there's a lot of help out there to do that. Um, I do urge people to quit, but I, I don't want smokers to think, okay, if I quit, then I'm safe. They, they still need to take precautions to avoid exposure gotcha. to, the, to the virus. Gotcha. So they should still be sequestered in the same way our elders are, and they should be quitting. Yes. And then um, I'm also aware that there's also an increased risk of contracting the virus because we we aren't sure, but we think it has to do with um, smokers just touch their faces more often while they're smoking. Exactly. So there's, there's, there is, of course, the extra exposure of going to the store more times at the gas station or whatever to get cigarettes. But also, gotcha. yes, it, it, there's a constant, especially if you're a, a, a one or two pack a day smoker. I think every cigarette, there's maybe 15 drags, and you know, every single time you're bringing an object in your hands to your face. So not not a great idea. Um, it, even we're, we're mostly talking about cigarettes here, but even yeah. uh, uh, spit tobacco people, you know, you, you don't want to be spitting right now because the coronavirus is in there. Right. Um, so it's not just your own exposure, you're, you're risking exposure to the people around you. And of course, both smoke and vapor from vaping uh, come from your lungs after you exhale, and so the, the virus is in there too. Okay, so clear message, wash your hands, keep social distance, and quit smoking, quit using tobacco, quit vaping. Um, and so let's talk a little bit about policy, Chris, because you're working with an organization that's not just trying to help individuals quit smoking, but also looking at policy. And are there policies that help? Are there policies that um, your organization is advocating for that we, we could implement? Absolutely. Uh, it, in terms of coronavirus, the, the best thing that any government can do right now is to ensure that there's access to cessation help whether that's in our gotcha. keys or, or simply the quit lines or, or anything like that. And that's one of the reasons I was chatting with the folks at the quit line center yesterday was to make sure that they were ready. And they're, they're not just ready, they're eager. They, they do see this as an opportunity to reduce the smoking rate since so many people are, are trying to quit. And anecdotally, they are getting a lot of calls from people now that say they call because of COVID-19 and they're worried. So the rest just is somewhat out there. So that's number one. Governments need to do that. Um, the other thing that governments are grappling with right now as they do lockdowns around the world is what is essential. And governments have come to wildly different conclusions when it comes to tobacco. So let's start in this country. Cigarettes here are sold everywhere. They're in every corner store, most drugstores, grocery stores, gas stations. 
And since the governments have decided, roughly, that access to food and medicine and gasoline is, is essential, they haven't thought through, and if anything the store sell ends up being essential because they're not, they're gotcha. not taking it product by product. And as I said, one, one physician's group has called on New York to, to ban the sale of, of tobacco during the pandemic. Uh, around the world, there's been different, different reactions. Um, in France, most tobacco is sold in tobacco-only stores, uh, the ubiquitous tabacs, which are everywhere. And they have decided that even though they only sell tobacco, they're essential, and they're going to keep them open. Spain has done the same thing. South Africa, on, on the other hand, has decided to ban the sale of all tobacco during the pandemic. And there's a couple of other countries that have taken that route. The vast majority simply haven't thought about it. They're, they're deciding what, uh, what physical stores need to stay open, and they're not thinking about what products need to be sold there. Yeah, and, you know, we have a similar discussion about the essential nature of uh, people acquiring alcohol, and I think that often in our minds we think that they're the same. Now, the difference is that um, a person who is addicted and dependent on alcohol and suddenly stops can have a life-threatening withdrawal. There's not a similar life-threatening withdrawal with um, tobacco. Is that correct? That's correct, although certainly withdrawal is no fun. And you know, right. there, there, there are some key differences. I think the two key differences between them two is what you said, that alcohol it can be life-threatening when, you, when you're taking off of it suddenly. Um, but nicotine is actually more addictive than, than alcohol. Right. Uh, and so the, the tobacco industry itself is interesting to see what their reaction to this has been. Uh, they've been saying two major things. One, we're trying to help. That we're going to find a cure for the virus by examining the chemical nature of the tobacco plant or some such and donating ventilators, which why do they have ventilators? But they haven't been saying much about whether governments should continue to allow tobacco to be sold. And it's because they're going to catch 22. If they say that tobacco sales are essential, they're basically admitting that it's highly addictive because that's the only reason it could possibly be essential, right? right. But of course, their main argument against stricter policies on the sales of tobacco is that that would be taking away people's freedom of choice. And they've always, they've always considered the addictive nature of nicotine to be on par with like chocoholics, which is of course right. not true. And so they're, they're being very quiet about this. They, they want to keep selling tobacco because that's how they make their money. But on the other hand, they don't want to be screaming that from the rooftops because it's, it's being something that they've denied for decades. Yeah, it is an interesting thing of why it is that to, the tobacco industry, first of all, thinks that the tobacco plant has a cure for COVID. And number two, why they actually own ventilators. Yeah, that was, that was very strange. One, one person tried to explain it to me that they, they didn't own the ventilators. They bought them and donated them. But then that just runs into the people bidding against each other for the existing ventilators. So that's, that's not particularly helpful. Right. Yeah. So, and, and yeah. Okay. So that, that's a, yeah, um, something we don't necessarily need to get into. So I do want to go over really quickly. Uh, Jenny Chadwick sent me some um, uh, resources for smoking cessation. Missouri has a tobacco quit line, 800 mm-hmm. quit now or visit www.quitnow.net slash Missouri. Uh, there is Smoke Free TXT, offers text message support on quitting, and that's uh, Smoke Free. Um, it's a long one. I'm going to have Tim put it up on the, the Facebook page. Um, American Cancer Society has a quit line, 800-227-2345. The American Lung Association has a quit line, 800-LUNG-USA. This is quitting for teens and young adults. Text DITCH-JEWEL to 88709, and that's D-I-T-C-H 
J-U-U-L, and again, it's 88709. Become an X, 24-7 support, including counseling, quit plan, and nicotine replacement therapy, is uh, becomeanx.org. Uh, so there, there is help out there. Um, uh, people can call their local primary care physician if they have one. We, we are all standing ready um, to help. Uh, smokers quit or even um, cutting down. So as um, Chris, you mentioned that, you know, with even within a few minutes of smoking, of after not smoking, you, your body is doing better. And so even if we can, every cigarette you do not smoke is a favor to your body and quitting is of course better than continuing. So, um, so so do we have any information about policies that are helpful? I know we can't tell policy, tobacco policies that help the COVID epidemic. We're way too early in that. But policies that help people become non-smokers. Well, the evidence shows that the quit lines are extremely helpful and a very cheap way to help people quit. Okay. And the, uh, the, the success rate for people calling the quit line has increased steadily over the years. As, as the experts on the other end of those lines learn more about what works with smokers. Okay. Um, unfortunately, the, the access to treatment across this country is uneven. Some health plans cover it. Some health plans don't. Some health plans are only covered for two weeks or only once a year. Uh, they, won't, they won't cover it until smokers quit, even though it's in all of our interests that they, that they succeed at this. And just right. one more bit of, um, of uh, information that might help your, your listeners. Uh, we got together with a cessation expert last week to draft a, a quick blog on techniques to use during COVID-19 because traditional quit plans usually involve picking a date in the near future that you're going to start to quit, and you do that based on a time that's not going to be stressful. Well, that's kind of out the window at the moment. Right. Everybody is under considerable stress at this time. So we, we, we talked to this uh, physician about what, what techniques people can use under these particular circumstances uh, if they want to quit. So please check that out on our website, ash.org. Ash.org, A-S-H, ash.org. Okay. A-S-H, right. Um, any final thoughts uh, before we um, wrap things up, Chris Bostic? Uh, no, just to reiterate, please, uh, speaking directly to smokers and their families, take care of yourselves and be safe. Um, we, we don't we don't want to see the we're, – we're, we're anti-tobacco at ASH. We're definitely not anti-smoker. Our entire mission is to, is to help smokers, and in particular this time, they, they need to have this information. Right. What we know is that when we do things like limit the places where people can smoke and increase um, to taxes on tobacco, Missouri leads the country in having the lowest tobacco tax in the nation um, – what we know is when we do those things, that, that the argument often gets phrased in the thing of it's um, non-smokers against smokers, and that's not at all what's going on. What we know is that, for example, when um, hospitals in the United States went smoke-free, three-quarters of hospital workers were able to quit smoking in the next year. So that yeah. – and most uh, – again, that's about the number of people who are smoking who want to quit. Three-quarters of smokers would really like to quit, are desperately that, – that's you know often their New Year's resolution. It's their deep desire, and they are addicted. And when we change the cultural norms around where it is that you can comfortably smoke, it helps people who would like to quit smoking. So this is all about being in favor of people, whether they're smokers or non-smokers, uh, surviving and living long, healthy, productive lives. 
Absolutely. And there's the, the next frontier on this, and everything you just said is absolutely right, that taxes and smoke-free air are the best ways to address the demand side for, for smoking. We're starting to look at the supply side. And uh, two cities in California have already voted to ban the sale of all tobacco products. They're phasing it out. So as of this coming January, they won't be available anymore. And that, that idea is taking root around the world. And if you think about it, if, if a company came out tomorrow with a product that was addictive and killed when used as intended, it would, of course, be taken off the shelves immediately. We got saddled with this product a century ago, and we were spoon-fed the dangers. And it was sort of like the frog in the proverbial water that, that set the boil from cold right. to boiling. goes from cold to boiling. We, we just haven't ever stepped back and said, why are we still allowing this? And it isn't about right. being anti-smoker. It's the it's tobacco industry. They made a product that's intentionally addictive, and they know it kills every time that they sell it, and yet they continue to do it. And that's the wrong that we've got to we've got to correct. Right. Well, Chris Bostic, uh, thank you, Deputy Director for Policy uh, for Action on Smoking and Health. Ash, ash.org is where we can find you can find more information. Thank you so much for spending time with us this morning. My pleasure. All right. Tomorrow, uh, Jenny Chadwick will be my guest again. She's. Uh, you know, on rotation, and we're going to be talking about what stay-at-home orders are effective, what are ideal, and uh, how it is that Missouri doesn't have uh, an optimal stay-at-home order. We're happy that the governor finally acts, but we're going to see if we can move closer to ideal. Well, thank you so much, Elizabeth, and we look forward to hearing from you tomorrow. Okay. Bye. All right, that is it for today's edition of Community Pulse. Once again, our guest today was Chris Bostick, Deputy Director for Policy for Action on Smoking and Health, an anti-tobacco nonprofit, also known by its acronym ASH. And of course, our other guest was Dr. Elizabeth Alleman, a local family physician. Thank you so much for listening to Community Pulse. Uh, if you have any questions or comments regarding the coronavirus situation here in Mid-Missouri, we would love to hear from you. You can give us a call at 573-874-1139 and leave us a message. Uh, Or if you prefer to email us, you can email me at gm at kopn.org. I will pass your questions and messages along to Elizabeth, and we will address them in future broadcasts. Please stay tuned after today's edition of Community Pulse for a special tribute to the late great musician, Mr. John Prine, who passed away yesterday due to complications caused by the coronavirus. He was 73 years old, and we'd like to pay a tribute to him with some of his music. So please stay tuned, and thanks for listening to KOPN Columbia.